Good morning. Welcome to uh, Warren Community Fellowship on this wonderful sunny day. This is the day the Lord has made and we've gathered into his presence to sing to him, to give him praise, to give him thanksgiving, because he is the one that gives us hope, gives us joy, and he is the one that is forevermore with us, forevermore ruling and reigning in us. So we're glad that each one of you are here and we invite you to stand and let's worship our God this morning. We are coming alive. We are 
set our hearts on fire. We are dancing, we are singing, we are coming alive. We are dancing, we are shouting, set our hearts on fire. All that I have is yours. My soul will praise forevermore, forevermore. I come alive in you, in you. My soul will shout forevermore, 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 forever. we are yours forever and ever and we look forward to the day when we will see you face to face until then we will praise you each and every moment of every day while we're still here to glorify and honor you in jesus name and everyone said amen Amen. well you may be seated this morning is the last sunday of the month and each uh last sunday of the month we take a a look at one of our missionaries we get a report from them and we're going to be praying for them over the next month during the month of february so this morning we have a video from the baumans that are in japan so check this out Over a period of 15 years, from 1884 to 1899, the Japanese inhabitants of five different villages in our local area carried soil, basket by basket, to build this miniature Mount Fuji, from which they could have a good view of the actual Mount Fuji. Why? Because the belief was that if they did this project together, they could build relationship and be of one mind together. Greetings from Tokyo. We're Gary and Barbara Bauman, your missionaries in Japan, serving through the local church. The theme of this video is the importance of joining God in the long-term development of relationships in Japan, for receiving salvation through Jesus, for building up in the faith, and for equipping the church. We want to introduce you to a few of our significant relationships. Some more recent and some that have gone on for decades. One example is our building up of this Japanese woman. We met Haruki over 10 years ago, shortly after she had committed her life to Christ and returned to Japan from the UK. She joined us in an Introduction to Christianity course in our previous church assignment at Kurume Bible Fellowship, or KBF. I went to church when I was in kindergarten, and I also went to mission school. A lot of things changed, and I kind of slowly started drifting away. Yeah, but then when I went to the UK as an exchange student, things really didn't go well. Yeah, I was interested in international development. So I wanted to visit a school in uh, Nairobi, where mm-hmm. a Japanese missionary couple 
uh, is doing this, yeah, mm. in service for children in mm. Islam. So, yeah, visited there from the UK, and there I saw God's love working mm. in people for the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah, so I started, I decided to get baptized, and the Japanese pastor allowed me to get baptized there. Mm. And I came back to Japan, and there, yeah, I started going to KBF and met you. So you or other missionary people who live different differently following mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I, I definitely like your presence really helped me to choose a different path, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. a Japanese way, yeah, uh-huh. God's way. Mm-hmm. I struggle every day, but I try not to compare myself with other Japanese friends because. Mm-hmm. Everyone already has a nice house and, you know, mm-hmm. they are married and mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I don't have any of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can I say one more thing? Yeah. I think yeah. as a Japanese Christian, what's hard is that you have, you have a hard time finding a Christian Japanese friends, I think. Uh. I don't have any good Japanese friend, like Christian friend from these schools. Mm. I'm probably the only one. Mm. This is Joyful Girls. I meet regularly with these high school girls to mentor them in their relationships with Jesus. As far as these girls know, they are each the only Christian in their class in their respective high schools. Still, just in high school, they already recognize what Haruki mentioned in her testimony the loneliness of being a Christian in Japan. A few months ago, they directly told me, I want to know more Christian girls my age. And since then, we've been praying for more girls to join us. Relationships, doing life together with friends and neighbors, building trust for openings to share the gospel, meeting individually and in small groups for Bible study, using our gifts in our local church, and encouraging people to grow in their relationship with God. You've prayed for Kilka, and she came to faith in February of 2022. And currently, we've asked you to pray for YW, who we're currently going through the Gospel of Mark with. Thank you for your partnership in the ministry in Japan. Please pray for God's wisdom with past, present, and future relationships in this coming year. So if you would pull out your bulletins, and there is a list on the second page, I believe, that is a list of prayer requests, um, or in the center section, that is there for the Bowmans to be able to pray for them. And that's the goal, is to be able to pray for them over this next month, as we highlight different missionaries for the month, and these are all missionaries that we connect with. So some of the things that we would pray for would be the Joyful Girls, and that's the high school uh, ministry that is there, and also the Bible study groups for K and for YW, and also the past relationships, present relationships, and future relationships. We've had Gary and Barbara here, and they've been able to share, and, and we want our church to understand that that we can connect with our missionaries at any time. So if, if you ever write, want to write to them or connect with them, they would love to be able to hear from you with that. And so I want to encourage you to be able to, to pray for them. We're going to pray for them in a moment. Um, 
because it's Missionary Sunday and then and the end of the month, what we want to do is also highlight another missionary that is more or less our resident missionary that is now entering into the next chapter of her life. I like to say retirement, but as Christians, you never retire. So, Trudy, if you'll come up, Trudy is now officially, and we want to present these flowers to you, which smell really good. Tom, do you have a mic? And a card. If I give Trudy enough things, maybe she won't, like, talk too much. He is is, is so weird about the mic, I swear. And then we have a plaque that says that Trudy has actually worked from, from Wycliffe that we want to present to her. On behalf of Wycliffe for 38 years, but I think you said it was 41. Yes, it was actually 41. So 41 years. So we got to, we got to use some whiteout or something <laughs> on this, right? The three of the years was in Papua New Guinea. It was kind of a short-term thing, and so they somehow count that different. But I just want to say thank you. Um, I actually joined this church in 1988, but it was before that that this church started supporting me. When I first came to show a Wycliffe film, that's how I got introduced to this church. We were meeting at the grade school, Warren Grade School. Uh, I think it was Pastor Cheney was, was the pastor then. So I've gone through a lot of pastors. So I've outlasted most of them, Carrie. So just, <laughs> but, but like Carrie says, you don't, you don't. Trudy will be handing me my pink notice shortly. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because no, I don't want to do this job. <laughs> it's like I don't. Um, but yeah, this next chapter... Um, you know, like Carrie said, you know, I, I can retire from Wycliffe, but I'm not going to retire from ministry. I'll still be in the back when Jason isn't there. And, you know, all, all the other things that I do here and, and other places. Just recently, I started teaching English as a second language to refugee women. Um, it's kind of down in Lake Oswego, so it's a little far. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I just recently found out that uh, there are refugees here in St. Helens, and I had no idea. So that, that might be a way I can go. My number one ministry right now is my mom. She's 99 years old. Believe it or not, she's slowing down. <laughs> really slowing down. So that's my main thing for her for, for the moment. But just, again, thank you. Very good. Let's pray for uh, Trudy and for the Bowmans. Father, we thank you for the missional work that you do, both here and abroad. We thank you for Trudy and, and her energy and, and vitality and the joy that she brings to us. And Lord, we ask that you would bless her in future ministry opportunities. And Lord, even working with the refugees, if there's an opportunity here, open that door. We pray for the Bowmans and their continued ministry abroad. We ask for blessing and provision for the acknowledgement of more girls in, in the campuses and boys that they would see the Christian uh, boys step forward and, and encourage them. Lord, we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. On that. Let's pray as the ushers come forward for this morning's offering. God, we thank you. You're amazing and kind. Your provision is, is beyond our comprehension for daily needs and for our lives and into eternity. Lord, I, I lift up uh, the needs of this church those that are sick, those that are in the hospital, those that are grieving, just hearing about another graduation into your presence this morning, I pray for that family. For those that are in the hospital, that are struggling, Lord, I pray for healing and deliverance. And Lord, we would ask that you would be honored. Father, we know that you give us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We want to honor you now with the first fruits of that which you've given us these offerings. May they be used for your kingdom glory. We want to honor you with our voices. 
as we sing out praises and worship unto you. We want to honor you, God, with our attention as our, our minds and our thoughts and our hearts are washed by your word. And may we leave this place transformed into the image of Christ a little bit more. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
worshiped. They are exalted above all things. From heaven's throne, you came to us and set your heart upon the cross.
Bible to Acts chapter 21, beginning verse 17, as we continue our study in the book of Acts. Have you ever been misunderstood? Well, at least one of you has. Have you ever had somebody make assumptions about you? And, you know, when we think about these misunderstandings and assumptions, it's very common in human relationships, uh, we do it towards other people. We assume things towards other people and we misunderstand other people. And the same thing is true about other people towards us in these things. And we think about, well, why do people make assumptions? Think about that. Why, why does somebody make an assumption? I, you know, I, I was thinking about that in light of our text this morning. One of the thing, reasons why people will make assumptions is because making an assumption towards somebody is much easier than communicating. 
When you make an assumption, what you do is you form an opinion based on what you perceive things to be or your understanding within that. And, based, and it runs through the filter of your presuppositions or how you, you perceive things to be. And you just say, well, that must be the truth. Instead of stopping saying, I'm not going to make an assumption. I'm going to actually go talk to the person. Oh, that requires talking to somebody. We make the assumptions on, on information that, that is not always accurate. Um, we make an assumption oftentimes based on things that aren't completely true within that. Then we can create a belief about that, percep- that assumption or that presupposition that we have. And then we assume it to be true until proven otherwise. But then we go, go and talk to the person and actually say, well, is this really true? Keeping that open mind within that. And making assumptions without all the facts is not really an intelligent decision. In fact, making an assumption without all the facts, I think, is laziness. Because what happens is, is we take the, the, the easy path. And we've got to be careful with that to believe those assumptions as true really enters into a place of ignorance. And we need to avoid that. And, it, and it's dangerous because this happens to us in our regular life, but it also happens to us as believers. Within the church and by the world, there's the, people within the church will make assumptions about you, and, and people in the world will make assumptions about Christians, and we see that all the time. And then they, they create judgments without all the facts, without really understanding what's going on. Within this. And this opens up the believers to be attacked from within the body and to be attacked by the world outside. If you really want to know, just stop and ask and ask for the information and, and, and receive it from an open mind within that. And I think it's important for us as Christ followers, when somebody has a misunderstanding towards us or has made an assumption towards us, we can't control how somebody would see us, per se. I mean, we can at some level, but what we can control is how we respond to those things. If there is somebody who has a misunderstanding towards us or an assumption towards us, we can control how we respond to that. And the response should always be out of humility. Not out of arrogance or pride or, or protecting ourselves. And you say, Carrie, what does this have to do with Acts 21? Paul is going to enter into a time of trials where there are assumptions in our text this morning that are made about him by both those that are within the church and assumptions and, and, and prejudices that are made against him by those that are outside of the church of the Jewish faith within this. Paul is going to be a witness to both the Jews, to kings, and to Gentiles as prophesied at his conversion by Jesus. In fact, in Acts 9.15, the Lord said to him, Go, for he, talking to Annas, he says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine 
to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. While Paul's ministry for many, many years was church planting in Asia and evangelizing, that wasn't his, his really calling. His calling, that was the preface for his calling, because his calling was to go before the kings and before the, the Jews and before the Gentiles, but the Lord didn't tell him the context of the calling. You're going to go as a prisoner. You're going to go in the form of trial and within that. And chapters 21 to 26, we're going to see three major speeches over this next section. And this is Luke is accounting for this. He's turning the corner and he's, he's now moving into the persecutions that follow Paul in his trials. And he's going to be a witness to the mob here in the temple in chapter 21, verses 1 to 21. Then he's going to be a witness before the Roman officials in Felix, chapter 24, verses 10 to 21. And then he's going to go before King Agrippa in Acts 26, 2 to 29. And all of these are speeches or witnesses that are fulfilled by him being arrested. And if you remember last week, we, we left him with Agabus, who Agabus said, you're going to be arrested within this. And so within this, these personal and these public attacks are coming at him. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is Paul's attitude when being attacked. How do you, how do you manage that? These misunderstandings and these attacks will understand it's going to happen and to be able to maintain that witness. But maintaining your witness is hard. When people make assumptions and they make accusations against you, it's hard to be able to do that. And these misunderstandings, especially when people slander you. Because in your flesh, you get hurt. And in your flesh, you want to fight back. And in flesh, you want to defend yourself in many ways. In fact, Paul is going to receive, in, in these next chapters, 21 to 26, five different assassination attempts upon his life. This is how much he was hated within this. Why? What did he do? He was sharing the gospel. He was sharing the gospel and he was being attacked within this. And the other thing that we can't miss is this. Especially in this initial attack that is being set up in our text this morning, you can't miss how Paul's arrest in the temple that we're going to read about was very similar to the arrest of Jesus and how the mob reacted. Was Jesus misunderstood by the Jews of his day? Absolutely he was. Was he... Was there, were there assumptions made by the religious elite? Absolutely there was. And so in the same way Paul will be treated, and the same way we will be treated, that way. And there are going to be difficulties. And I think one of the things that we want to walk away with is this. How to handle these misunderstandings and these assumptions. How do we maintain an attitude of humility and look for these misunderstandings and assumptions as an opportunity to be able to share the truth about Jesus and make it really about a witness rather than personal defense. So I'm going to ask, I know we've stood a little bit, but I want to give respect to God's Word as we read chapter 21, verses 17, all the way down to 36. It's rather long, so, so if it's difficult for you to stand that long, then that's okay. Um, you can have a seat, that's fine. But I want to really give respect to God's Word. And may the Holy Spirit be the, 
the teacher as these passages ring out to your heart. Verse 17, after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders that were present. And after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who had believed. And they are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you that you're teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the custom. What then is this to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them. Pay their expenses so that they may shave their head. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you. But that you yourself also walk according keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Well, then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple giving notice to the completion of days of purification until the sacrifice was offered each one of them. And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd, laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once he took along some soldiers and centurions, ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the commander came up and took hold of him, ordered him to be bound with two chains, and he began asking him who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another, and when they couldn't find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered them to be brought to the barracks. When they got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following him, shouting, Away with him! May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Pretty crazy narrative. Can you imagine the uproar and the things that are going on? Paul was coming back from his mission trip, and he comes back into Jerusalem... And he is coming in to meet with the head of the church. One of the things that we can understand is this, that you will often be misunderstood and your ministry can be misunderstood by believers. Why? Because they're not participants. They weren't there when ministry was going on. They weren't there when things had happened. 
And Paul comes back, and on a high, he's super excited. Why? Because he's bringing back all the offering that was collected by the churches in Asia and Macedonia. All this money that was collected, he's bringing it all back. And he's super excited. He's like, man, this is going to be great. We're going to bring this offering. We're going to celebrate this. He wanted to get there by, by the holiday, the festival, and all that was going on. And he's, he's excited. And so he comes in with this report. And it's kind of a mixed report. The text says that verses 17 to 20, verse A, he comes in, they arrive in, and Paul went in to James and the elders, and he presented them, they greet him, he gave a report. This is what God's doing with the Gentiles who are getting saved. They're coming out of idolatry and all of these things that are happening, the cults that they're in, and they're praising God and they're celebrating all the work that God had done with us. He received this warm welcome. And James, who is the brother of Jesus, which is an interesting study in itself, because James wouldn't come to faith until after the resurrection, is head of the church. James, by this time, and the church by this time in Jerusalem, the church had been organized in such a way where James, not Peter and not John, who have missional aspects, but James, the brother of Jesus, is the head of the church, along with the elders. And here we see some church polity that is structured in the first church. The church was run by elders, and James was the first among equals. What does that mean? That means that James was an elder like the other elders, but he was seen more as a lead pastor. He would be the, the front person of the eldership within that church and speak on behalf. They were all equal, but James was out front within this. This is a model that our church follows in, in church polity within this. And Paul comes back and he gives this, this, this mission report from Asia. Now, this wasn't his first time in meeting with James and the elders. In Acts chapter 15, after his first mission trip, he came back and he was celebrating all the things that were going on there. It was great. It was awesome. And the elders were silent. What do you mean Gentiles are getting saved? Gentiles are getting saved. Oh, no. And they wrestled with this because they were wrestling with the context of we need these Gentiles to become Jews in order to be saved. They've got to become Jews first and abide by the rules and, 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 and all of these things. And Paul's discussion with them, he's like, no, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles. Well, how are we going to do this? They come from a totally different culture and how are we going to mix the two together and we're going to struggle with this? And so in Acts 15... James and the elders, they got together and said, well, how do we bring these two cultures together in Christ without division? Well, let's do this. Let's, let's not mandate that the Gentiles become circumcised because they're not Jews. And the circumcision was a sign of a Jewish covenant, so we're not going to make them do that. But let's tell them not to eat any meat that's offered to idols because that's a stumbling block for the Jews. So when they invite them over for barbecue, don't bring out the pork that's been offered to the idols, right? Let's keep it kosher. And, and, and by doing that, then don't eat any meat that's been strangled where the blood's left in it, which is a bummer for me because I like my steak medium rare. We, and, and tell them to stay away from sexual fornication and immoralities and these things. Right? In other words, when they get together, let them live a holy lifestyle away from immorality and, and 
not a not in the presence of the Jews, eat meat that's offered idols and all of these different... Just don't tell them not to be a stumbling block within this. So in Acts 15, they lay down this, this letter and they send it to the churches. These are the, the ways that, that they'll be able to come together when they're in these uh, Macedonian and Asian churches. And they wrestled with all of these things and this was the conclusion with this. They come back in this mission trip and they're celebrating what God is doing. Paul explains to them how the churches were grown within this, but there was still an underlying contention. Because we read in here, it says that there were some Jews that were zealous for the law. Well, what does that mean? They were Jewish Christians, Jewish believers, that were still very zealous under the Torah and the obedience of the law, and they hadn't really accepted the letter from the elders, and they really hadn't accepted these things. And they, there was this tension and this conflict within this that was going on. And so these are some that had reported these, these Jewish Christians that were in Asia and Macedonia. They had reported back. And so imagine this. Paul comes in and they're celebrating. Everything is great. And they said, yeah, we're celebrating. Everything's great. But we've heard some things. Have you ever had that kind of sucker punch? That that, that kind of hit in the gut where it's like you're you're you have this real high this great things are great, but we got to talk to you about something. That, that that is just a horrible thing to be able to say. Yeah, we've got to talk to you about something. I can't imagine how for Paul it would have been like cutting the feet out from under him. Here's the offering, and here's what God's doing, and all of these things. And then the elders say, yeah, but i got to talk to you about what some people are saying about you. That's hard news. To be able to do this. To be able to address this. On one hand, the elders were rejoicing. On the other hand, they have to address this misunderstanding that's an assumption that is rumbling within the church in Jerusalem. It is a rumbling and a grumbling that never should have taken place by ultra-conservative zealots over the law that weren't paying attention to an earlier decision of the elders. They had developed a presupposition and an assumption, and they were passing on this information. And so the elders have to wrestle with this, as do the elders of every church. As the elders of the church, we have to wrestle with different things. Why? Because we have different people that have different perceptions and assumptions that are being made and to filter through this. And so the elders are put in this hard place because on one hand, they want to celebrate with Paul. On the other hand, they have to address this issue of conflict. And so the elders feel the need to address this conflict with Paul within this. Now, during this time, you've got to also understand the context of the culture. There was a great anti-Roman sediment that was going on in, within Jerusalem at the time. This anti-Roman antagonistic sediment of the Jews against the Romans was building up. They were tired of the Roman occupation, and so they were setting up for the, the, the war against the, the Romans that were there, which would set up to the Roman wars that would lead to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. 
So things are building. There's this tension. And so you have this outward tension that is building within the church culturally. And then you have this inward tension of an anti-Gentile antagonism and sediment. As thousands of Jewish Christians are becoming saved and thousands of Gentile Christians are becoming saved, there's this collision that is about to take place between these two growing groups that is there. And the elders have to navigate this within this. And so they thought, well, what are we going to do as elders? How are we going to navigate this, this place of, of contention within this? Notice in verse 21, it says, They have been told about you, that you're teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the custom. We're being told that you're telling the Jews that are in there to become apostates. That the Jews of Asia are no longer to participate in anything cultural within their faith. Was that a truth? No. It was a lie. It was an assumption. It was an assumption that was there. It was a rumor that was going on. James had already given the letter to Paul. It was the standard by which Paul was doing ministry. But others had picked up an assumption and, and rallied this rumor. And this rumor had grown to such a place that it had gotten back to the ears of the elders. Now they have to address it. And people were believing the rumor rather than seeking out what was the truth. Now, what was the threat of truth? The threat of truth was this. Paul refused to make Gentiles become circumcised. We read about it in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2-6. through 6. Where Paul would write, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now, he's writing to the church in Galatia, to Gentiles. He says, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. But you have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the spirit of faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Oh, that's what Paul was teaching. He wasn't teaching parents not to circumcise their children. He was teaching the essence that faith through Christ is salvation. And it's not the circumcision. Don't overemphasize these things. Circumcision was a sign for the Jewish covenant for the Jews. And Paul never uh, uh, encouraged Jews to abandon circumcision, nor to abandon their tradition within this. But it was an assumption that they were making. Why? Because of the underlying current was they wanted all the Jew they wanted all Gentiles to become Jews, and they wanted them to do that. They wanted them to be like them. And so within this, we got to say, well, what was Paul's practice? Paul's practice was as a Jew to practice Jewish ceremonies. We know that Paul would practice all the festivals and the ceremonies within that, and to be cultural with that. Why? Because he was a Jew. In fact, he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win the more. To the Jews, note, 
I became a what? A Jew. So that I might win the Jews. And to those who were under the law. And under the law, though not being myself under the law. So that means he was abiding by the law even though he didn't feel that he was having to. He did it. He obeyed the law because culturally he was a Jew. So that I might win those who were under the law. To those that are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but being under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who were without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might save some. So, did, you, did Paul abandon Jewish festivals and feasts? The answer is absolutely not. In fact, in the journey, you'll remember that he stayed in certain places in order to be able to celebrate and honor Sabbaths. And in his journey in Acts chapter 18, he would take a Nazarite vow, even though he wasn't in Jerusalem. So we know that was there. But it was an assumption that Paul had abandoned Judaism, his roots, his culture, and all of these things. And within this, they picked up on this assumption the, those that were zealous for the law, and they accused him. Have you ever been accused of doing something that you didn't do? Have, you, have people ever made assumptions upon you, not knowing all the facts, and would slander your character, your behavior, based on that? Why is it that people would choose to believe a lie over truth? Or to believe the assumption rather than seeking out the truth. Because it's in our nature to do that. May it never be. And this is within the church. May it never be. The elders now have to navigate this. They know the truth. They're interviewing Paul. They know who Paul is. But how do they work with these, what we would call weaker brothers? How would we work with the weaker brothers who are weaker in their faith, that feel that complete obedience law is necessary. Well, they would revert back and say, okay, Paul, here's what we can do. We have a plan. We have four men that are poor, that have wanted to be in the Nazarite vow, and they, they've entered into the Nazarite vow, but they don't have the finances necessary to complete it. Paul, here's what we want you to do. We want you to enter the vow with them, the Nazarite vow, and we want you to pay for all four of them in this Nazarite vow so that they can complete it. Which meant that they would have to cut their hair. In fact, you can read all about it in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Basically, they would go 30 days without strong drink, without uh, sexual intercourse. They would let their hair grow during that time and... and uh, and, and so forth. And at the end of the vow, they would cut off their hair and they would burn it as a sacrifice unto God. And then they would also offer a, an animal sacrifice with that. There was also a stipulation within the Nazarite vow that if you were out and away and in Gentile country, you could also enter into a vow, a seven-day vow. And you would enter into that vow. And at the end of the seven, at day three, you would go offer a sacrifice. And then day seven, you would offer a sacrifice. So the elder's solution was this. Paul, this is something that you do. So why don't you join in with these guys and let's, let's put some money there because if you're financially invested, it means that you will adhere to that. 
And so you'll pay for their vow and you'll join the vow and you've been out in Gentile territory and so go ahead and purify yourself and then everybody will know that you are still practicing Jewish customs. It wasn't out of the ordinary for Paul to do these things. Did Paul have to do it? No. But he humbled himself to do it. Why? Because for the Jew, he wanted to save the Jew. He wanted to become all things to all men. He didn't want to be a stumbling block. He wasn't being asked to do something that he wouldn't normally do. So he humbled himself for the weaker brother to be able to be in that place. And so he would enter into this vow with this and part of the Jewish culture. And at the end of the seven days, Paul would enter into the temple. He would go day three and then at the end of seven days, he would go into the temple, into the, the court, and then he would offer his sacrifice and then he can continue on. Can you imagine what that would have been like for Paul, though? He comes back from this great mission trip and everybody says, yeah, Paul, we are so excited about what you've done, but you've got to do this so that we can settle the conflict. Humility is necessary to, in, in order for us to be able to minister to the weaker. The weaker being the one that, that would make the assumptions or the misunderstandings. Regardless of the adversity and regardless of this personal attack, humility is always key to un understand where you're, where you're at. So within this, Paul would do this. Which brings us to the the next section, verses 27 to 36, where Paul would be attacked from those without. So we pick up in verse 27 with a group of antagonists. Now, it's one thing to be judged by those within the church, but those being judged by those outside of the church, that's difficult. So in verse 27, these antagonists will publicly attack him. Notice it says, When seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. So here is day seven, and he comes into the temple within this first purification. And so now we have these Asian Jews that are not Christians, and they are zealous for the law, and they hate Paul because they hate Gentiles in any of these things, and they see him in the temple within this. And they go and they gather all the people, and they stir up the crowd. What's necessary to stir up the crowd? Slander. Slander. They create a mob. And a mob mentality. In such a way that they seize Paul. Paul was just trying to complete his purification. Within this. They gather around and they seize Paul and they lay hands on him and they start bringing out these accusations against them. They took the opportunity to raise up a mob against Paul because they couldn't get Paul to shut up. Now, you re if you remember in our earlier study when Paul was in Ephesus, wasn't there a riot there? There was a huge riot in Ephesus. These were... Jews that followed Paul from Ephesus. And they couldn't get him in the first riot, but now they're going to try to get him in the second riot. If you've ever traveled in Near Eastern culture, and we'll be doing that when we go to Israel, you'll learn that people are very emotional 
they can get excited and, and really get excited and, and within that. And I've been in the center of some of the excitement on our, our tours. They're safe, but you've got to understand, people don't know spatial distance in Near Eastern culture. They will get really close to you and get really loud, really fast within that. And not that it's not safe, you just got to understand that, that uh, the Western bubble doesn't exist there. Well, within this, these Jews, they come out and they level out four serious accusations. First accusation, Paul speaks against the Torah. Is that a problem for a Jew? Absolutely. Paul speaks against the temple. Is that a problem for the Jew? Absolutely. Paul speaking and turning Jews away from Judaism. Is that a problem? Absolutely. Fourth, Paul defiled the temple by bringing a Gentile beyond the court of the Gentile into the court of the Jews. Is that a problem? It is. To give you an idea, I've got a couple of diagrams that I want to show you within this. Now, within the, the outer court, we have the court of the Gentiles here. When we go to Israel, we will not see this. This is not there. There is a large platform, platform that's there, and we, what we have over in this area, I believe, or some people believe right here, is the Dome of the Rock that exists there. This is the court of the Gentiles. This center section is the court of the women. This inside section is the court of Israel, but also the court of the priests. So the men would go in here, women would go here, Gentiles would go in there. There are gates that go across here. There's a gate that comes across on this backside, and then you've got the gate beautiful that up here, and you have another gate there and another gate that goes across here. The accusation was that Paul had brought Trophimus an Ephesian. Now, why is that important? Luke tells us because he was an Ephesian, which tells us that these people were from Ephesus because they knew who Trophimus was. They saw Paul with Trophimus in the streets, and assumed that he brought him into the courts. That he brought him up into, into this court of Israel. Bringing a Gentile up here was forbidden. In fact, on all the pillars, it's recorded by Josephus, on all the pillar gates right there, there, and there, there were four pillars. And written in both Latin and Greek, it says, No trespassing, any Gentile beyond this will die. They've recovered two of the four stones. You don't do it. It, it, was, it was to defame the, 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 the temple itself within this. And so there was these stones that existed up here in this area. I think I have another. Do I have another one? I do. So this one gives us a little a broader over, overview of this court of the Gentiles. Note the Antonio Fortress that is right there because we'll talk about that in a moment. And you have the Court of the Gentiles. Today, I believe this, this is the Dome of the Spirits and the Dome of the Rock actually sits like more in this area here. And this is the Southern Steps. This is the Western Wall that runs across here. This is the Kidron Valley, East Gate, and then Gethsemane's down there. So that kind of gives you some orientation within the. Paul would write to the church of Ephesus, these words. 
For he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What was the dividing wall? That was the wall between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. And Jesus broke down that wall. Paul would refer to that. And so there is a huge assumption. He is, they assume that Trophimus went into there. And so what did they do? They prejudiced people. If you look at verses 30 to 36, it says, Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together and took hold of Paul, and they drug him out of the temple and immediately shut the doors. Shut what doors? The doors between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. They were shut. So Paul was inside. They saw him and they said, We need to get him. Question, did anybody ever see Trophimus in there? There's no mention of Trophimus in there. But they made the assumption. And what do they want to do? They want to kill him. Based off of an assumption. Based off of a prejudice within this. It's ironic that this is the last time that the temple is mentioned in the book of Acts. When the doors were shut. Because the Jews ultimately rejecting Paul who represented bringing the gospel in. Not mentioned again. They turn their back. Why? Because they believe their assumptions and their misunderstandings to be true, which close them off to the gospel. That's a powerful thought. How should we handle those misunderstandings and assumptions that we might have? Address everything as the fact I may be wrong. I may be wrong. I should not assume. I should not accept my presupposition as truth until I find out all the information. And it's based on fact, not feeling or emotion. These emotions raged so greatly that these gates were closed within this and the disturbance got to the Roman commander in the Antonio Fortress. And if I can get a picture of that. So this is a, in the temple model. So in Israel, they have a model of everything. So this is the Antonio Fortress that you, would, that you would see. Just a picture. And you see the four towers that are in there in the big gates with the barracks that would have been into there. Inside the Antonio Fortress, it was a fortress that Herod upgraded. There was a previous fortress. Herod the Great had built it and rebuilt the Antonio Fortress in order for that Temple Mount to be protected. It was named after Mark Antonio, and before in, he, he uh, failed in his endeavors within this. This Antonio Fortress housed a thousand soldiers, 760 infantry people, 240 cavalry people. The ruler of the Antonio Fortress, the commander, name was Claudius. Lysias. Claudius Lysias was there and he was in charge over the thousand people. And there would have been at least ten centurions, centurion being over a hundred. And the text says multiple centurions went out. So we know there was at least 200 soldiers that came out of the Antonio Fortress. What did they do? They grabbed a hold of Paul, stopped the beating. Paul was being beaten? Yes. For what? An assumption. Based on what? 
hatred. And Paul was being beaten. So the peacekeeping force of the Roman government was there, and they, they wanted to keep the peace, so there wasn't a riot, and they stopped the riot. They brought him in and brought him up to question him. What is going on? Why do these people hate you? And as the crowd was seeing Paul drug off, they said, away with him. That's reminiscent of what they said to Jesus. In John 19.15, so they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. What happens when you make assumptions? When you believe misunderstandings? You miss out on what God is doing. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful and we need to humbly maintain our witness. Paul is on his way up his steps and next week we're going to pick up as Paul stops the soldiers to address the crowd in his first speech. But I want to encourage you with this. Do not fall prey to misunderstandings and assumptions. Do not let Satan get a foothold. Seek out the truth. Accept the truth. And with humility, love one another. John Bunyan, and I'll leave you with this closing quote, said this, Therefore I bind these lies and slanderous accusations to my person as an ornament. It belongs to my Christian profession to be vilified, slandered, reproached, and reviled. And since all this is nothing... But that, as God and my conscience testify, I rejoice in being reproached for Christ's sake. As a Christ follower, you will be misunderstood. And as a Christ follower, you will have assumptions made about you. How you handle that is important to your witness. And humbly Follow what Jesus did. Humbly follow what Paul did. Pray for those that hurt you, despitefully use you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You that You give us hope. You give us these answers. And You give us truth. May we walk in that truth. Lord, we know that in this world there will be tribulation. But we can be of good cheer. Why? Because You've overcome the world. Father, I would ask that for all of us, that we would walk in the spirit of humility towards those that are within the church and those that are without the church. And where we recognize that there are issues, to the best of our ability, may we seek peace. To the best of our ability, may we continue to persevere in our witness, regardless of the adversarial activities and the public attacks, that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the 
Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. difficulties and there's going to be hard things that happen. We're going to be misunderstood. But Lord Jesus, they misunderstood you. And that misunderstanding caused their rejection of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they put you on a cross. Lord, may we pick up our cross and follow after you. And with humility, love one another. And be what we can to all things, to all people, so that some might be saved. So this week, Lord, give us a spirit of humility. Help us to walk in the faith and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that everything we say and do makes you smile. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Praise Jesus. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. 
Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.